Folks, welcome back to the Sideline Sportscast. Uh, I don't know about you, Brian, but I'm really excited about this week's uh, podcast. Uh, this week, Brian and I will become the sports agents as we evaluate the major NFL and NBA deals that have gone down. We'll discuss the new flu- uh, NFL salary cap. We're going to criticize the NBA All-Star Game. And we're going to find out if Fitzpatrick has any of that Fitzmagic left in him. But uh, before we get into all that, don't forget to check us out. Interact with us on our socials at the Sideline Sportscasters on both Facebook and Twitter. Brian, before we hop into our topics, what are we drinking this week? Yeah, so uh, tonight we're going with the Cigar City Florida Cracker, which is perfect, right? Because we're both from Florida. But uh, I've had this before, but let's uh, open it up and take a sip. I mean, I'm, I've had this beer before, like I said, and I'm a pretty, pretty big fan. I mean, it's got some citrus notes, some orange, and a little bit of, uh, you know, I get a little bit of lime on the on the back end. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's a, definitely a great beer. I, I'm a big Belgian white fan, which is what this is. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd give it a good four out of five rating on the, the Brian Arbitrary beer scale. Logan, how do you feel about this one? You know, I've not. I don't think I've had the Florida Cracker before. I've had a lot of cigar cities, um, being that they're a Tampa brewery, nice and close to us. I don't know that I've had this one, but yeah, I, I agree. It's very, um, very kind of refreshing. It's a little bit crisp up front, but then you definitely kind of smooths out. And and I agree. I do kind of get a lime taste on the on the back end. Uh, definitely, you taste that orange and. And, uh, it's definitely, definitely a little bit more car. I'm getting a little bit like more carbonation, right? Yeah, it's got a little, little, little crisp, little bite up front, you know, and then it kind of smooths out. Um, this is this is something that is very drinkable and, and uh, be nice to have on a nice hot day. Um, I, I'm not going to go quite as high as you. I'm going to give it a three five on my arbitrary scale. All, right. All right, but definitely, well, definitely good. Um, I, I would maybe prefer something a little bit more hoppy, but that's just kind of my palate. That's kind of our split. You're more of the hoppy guy, where I'm more of the the lager and uh, Belgian white guy. So, I mean, I'm not going to complain. I do but, like uh, the crispness to it, though. Like that, right. that first little little taste. For sure. Well, have one or two while we get into the the this week's topics. And uh, you know, I think we're so excited about this week and the, the weeks to come because we have a lot of NFL news, and we all know this. That's our bread and butter. So yeah, a lot of stuff know, happening right now. Diving right in, you know, off season. We got a month until the draft, month and a half, but. Free agency and uh, re-signings are the, the trend right now. So uh, story number one, Big Ben, uh, he, there was uncertainty about whether he was coming back, but his long, uh, you know, even though his long-term future is unknown, we know he's coming back for the 2021 season. On Thursday, the Steelers announced that they have reached an agreement with their franchise quarterback, Big Ben, to restru- and they're going to restructure his deal. Uh, the Cliff Notes version of the deal is that Roethlisberger took a $5 million pay cut, down from 19 million to 14 million and spread it over four additional voidable years to 2025, which spreads out their cap hit for this year. The breakdown of that 14 million is a base salary at the league minimum of 1.08 million and the rest in a 12.292 million signing bonus. The Steelers say 15 million uh, in cap space for 2021. With uh, Ben's new cap-shedding deal freeing up some much-needed cap space, what impact does this have on the Steelers' 2021 season? Logan. Yeah, ending last season, you know, Ben said that he wanted to play football again this season, so it's not surprising that they kind of worked out a deal. 
uh, going into the, the offseason. The Steelers really had only two options. First, they could release him and deal with the $22 million in dead cap space, which really would not be beneficial to them uh, in terms of signing new players. Um, I believe that actually puts them over the cap. So really the, the second option was to you know, sign a, a new deal with him. Um, this is certainly the, the more beneficial for the, for the, for the club. Uh, it gives them a true number one. It doesn't handcuff them to a, a bad, you know, as bad of a, a cap scenario. So I, I definitely think that that's, you know, definitely the best case for them. Uh, you know, you give them time to, to draft or sign a, a QB next year. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, this, I don't think this is the only step they need to take. Um, him coming down makes a difference, but it doesn't make that much of a difference from a cap standpoint. It's only going to free up a little bit of money. I think it's about $6 million in cap space. So they won't have enough money to re-sign their two biggest free agents, which are wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster and linebacker Bud Dupree. Uh, those guys... They're, the price tag is going to be too big. They won't be able to resign them. They might be able to clear enough room to get like a James Conner, but he, you know what was he? He was a top twenty rusher last year. So unless some of the other vets like Joe Hayden, you know, follow suit, the Steelers really aren't going to have enough room to to make significant signings. And they're going to end up being a bad team, definitely worse than they were this year. You know, and this may end up being Ben's worst Steelers team on his last year, really. So, it's it's fantastic that he's staying, I guess, one more year, but it's, it's not going to be a good year. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know what this signing does for them other than what you mentioned, which is they have a concrete quarterback for the next year. But without the weapons around him that they clearly need um, – you know, Juju Smith-Schuster will be a big loss if they can't get him back, which I don't know how they will at this point. Um, big Ben is not making his finale tour um, or farewell tour, um, you know, one of much excitement. So that division is, is tough. I think Baltimore and Cleveland are both in pretty good spots where they didn't have too many question marks going into free agency. Um the Steelers' defense over the course of the last quarter of the season um, declined steadily. You mentioned Bud Dupree. He's not going to be coming back either if they, unless they're able to shut up um, some more cap space. Um, I mean, I guess it makes you as a fan, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, you know, feel good knowing that you have a decent quarterback under center. And yes, I only say decent because I feel like he is getting older, and you know he he's not faring as well as maybe a Brady or a Breeze into their early forties. Um, it's nice to see he's definitely better than what they could draft this year, but I don't have much promise for them to go much more than five hundred um, this coming season. Uh, that's pretty harsh. I mean, I think certainly Ben is the best option they could sign at this point with the cap situation they're in. They're not in the lottery for any of the major, you know, free agencies or guys who are speculated to, uh, to be on the move. So, yeah. And I only say 500 because I mean, it's the division, right? I mean, I would say they're probably not as good as Baltimore or Cleveland. And then you have to keep in mind, you got a young 
Joe Burrow-led Cincinnati team, who, although they didn't show much last year, they might be able to add a couple pieces in the draft to give Joe Burrow more than a half a second to throw the ball, they're going to creep up in that division and get a couple more wins than they did last year, maybe stealing one from the Steelers. So, um, And, of course, this is all based upon what the Steelers did to close out the season. So, I mean, if they come and they play like they did in the first half, you know, I could be – you know, not giving them enough credit, but I'm just not very high on that team and the way they ended that season. I mean, I talked about this last year when when they hit their struggles that Ben Roethlisberger is one of those guys who's just a winner. He finds a way to win. Certainly, he's getting up there. His he's declining. You know, talent wise, the the cupboards are going to kind of be bare this year. So. I don't expect great things from him, but he will probably surprise more people than I think um, give him credit for. You know, he'll he'll find a way to win some of those games that they probably shouldn't win, and you know, maybe even you know, it's Cleveland's Cleveland. Who knows what they're gonna do? And you know, right. um, so fair. I'm not I'm not ready to write the Steelers out. I don't have them as the division favorite. Um, so. You know, maybe even at best a wild card team, but I don't. I see them better than five hundred, um, but probably not more than ten wins. I'd say under ten wins. Yeah, sounds about right. So, well, everything is bigger in Texas, and apparently that includes quarterback contracts. After talks, uh, years of talks, public declarations, and a franchise tag, Dallas finally inked a deal with quarterback Dak Prescott to. To a long-term deal, this saga has been going on for almost three seasons with Dak being given the franchise tag last season. On Monday, Dak signed a four-year contract extension worth $160 million, which includes $66 million signing bonus, which is the largest in NFL history. It also includes $126 million in guaranteed signing, uh, which is the largest in league history. Dak Prescott will earn... Uh, an average of $40 million annually, making him the second highest paid quarterback behind Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Prescott will make $75 million next season, uh, which is more than Mahomes will make over his first two years of his contract. What do you think, Brian? Is, is Dak worth this mega deal, or did Dallas make a mistake? This is probably the one topic we're going to differ the most on tonight, but and you know where I'm coming from, but I think this is a huge mistake by Dallas and it has nothing personal against Dak, uh, Dak, but you know, I think over the course of the first 25 episodes of this podcast, my viewpoint on what players are worth has been pretty apparent and I value wins above anything. And to me, yeah, he needed a contract. I don't think that Dallas should abandon him um, or trade him. I think he's got the talent. He needs a little bit more time. Certainly, those da- these Dallas teams that he's been on have been, you know, had a very high bar of expectation and arguably talent to meet that bar, and they've fallen short. Um, but $160 million, the second highest paid quarterback in the league. A, I don't know if he's proven that worth yet. And I know you're going to come, you know, hit me with the stats when it's your turn and I'll give you that chance. But he hasn't, he hasn't earned it in my eyes in terms of wins. I think he has one playoff win in his career. They failed to make the playoffs more years than they've made it when he's under center. And he's coming off that season ending injury last year. 
that gruesome ankle slash foot injury that he suffered, you know, midway through the season. I'm hoping Jerry Jones and that coaching staff watched him work out before they inked this contract. I'm sure they did. I'm sure he's been, you know, put out on the practice field or at least thrown or something in front of ownership before they put that much money on the table. But for a team that needs many more pieces, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I don't know if he was worth this amount of money right now. Yeah, as a fantasy owner of Dak the last two seasons, I'm a little little invested in him. Um, I think he's long overdue for payday. He's had like one of the lowest quarterback contracts throughout his career, uh, minus the uh, the franchise tag. But I think similar to our Big Ben and Steelers topic last, you know, we talked about just a second ago, the Cowboys really only had three options: let him walk, sign him for a large long term deal, or slap him with another franchise tag and. I think we can both agree you can't let a guy like Dak just walk away, get nothing for him, lose out on a on a great quarterback. I mean, I, I mean would you agree that's really just not an option? You have to find a, a deal. I agree. I think the one thing that Dallas didn't leverage enough in their um, negotiation, and you know maybe this is the wrong way to go about it, but they know what his condition is. I don't know if his leverage to get a mega deal with another team was there based on what how his season ended. And well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that right now, I guess. You know, I was going right. to talk about it a little, in a little bit. But, you know, him getting hurt, it happened in week five last season. Um, and the fracture and dislocation of his right ankle, I mean, certainly are a gruesome injury, but, you know, it was a clean kind of break, so it wasn't a lot of complications to it. The dislocation certainly takes time to heal, but... You know, he's predicted to make a full recovery before the start of next season. So it's not even like he, there's there's doubt. They're, the doctors are saying that he is going to make a full recovery and not suffer any lingering effects. Now, of course, it's what doctors say. You never know what actually turns out. But, I mean, these are some of the best doctors in the world that are, you know, giving these things. Especially Jerry Jones. He's not dealing with any disc guy, you know, quarter, any any doctor. He's He's getting the best opinion. So I'm I'm pretty confident that Dak's going to be the Dak we knew, you know, before. Um, I guess you don't need to have that much ankle mobility to dump it off to Zeke. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, you know, going back to my my three kind of points, you know, that Dallas, if they hit him with another franchise tag. His salary cap number for the season would have been thirty-seven and a half and a half million dollars, which is thirteen million more than Mahomes would have made. So you can't hit him with a franchise tag. Again. It's just it's way too expensive. The franchise tag system is kind of meant to do that, so that it discourages teams from from hitting them multiple times. So you know him signing a contract, you know, was only a twenty-two point two million dollar hit, which is a fifteen and a half million dollar savings. So it seemed like that was clearly the best option. Um, you know, before getting hurt, he threw for almost 1,900 yards, nine touchdowns, only had four interceptions in just five games. Those are great numbers. Those are some of the best numbers that we had all last season in a season where we had quarterbacks really explode and become like statistical phenoms. Uh, and certainly it was, you know, on... As they went two and three. Well, record is... was the defense, though. It's the defense. Right. The real issue with that Cowboys team is the defense. That defense was ranked 28th overall last season, which is just awful, awful. 
Um, but you know, last season Dak was on on pace to to blow away every quarterback in the Cowboys franchise. You know, and they've had some you know good quarterbacks, you know, Hall of Fame quarterbacks. So. You know, I think that now that they have Dak locked up, they can kind of focus on improving the roster around him and make sure that they are a playoff team and possibly, you know, contend for a Super Bowl. The NFC East is a very winnable division. They only finished one game behind the division leader, the Washington football team, even with Dak missing out and having just huge issues for like the next five games after he went out. That team couldn't do anything in you know, the five games that, that preceded him going out, they only had, like, like one 400-yard game. Uh, the rushing was, was awful. Um, so if they can improve just a little bit defensively, I'm not saying be a great defensive team, but improve a little bit defensively, that team can easily win that division. Oh, for sure. So... Well, we'll see, you know, he proved, you know, people like me, the doubters wrong. Um, you know, I'm just on that. A, I hate Dallas, so, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be somewhat biased against them, but I think they have definitely, they haven't helped their case over the last 20 years, oh, yeah. um, in yeah. terms of expectations versus performance. So, um, I like Dak as a human being. So, I mean, I, I wish them well, uh, unless they're playing Buffalo. So, yeah. yeah and one, one more thing is, we're always going to see those contracts kind of get bigger and bigger. Oh, yeah. um, especially at the top end, you know, your, your Josh Allen, he's going to have his next contract. is probably going to make him one of the highest paid quarterbacks of all time. You know, Russell Wilson, his next contract. Mahomes' contract after the one he's on now, if he stays on healthy on pace, I mean, he's going to just progressively have bigger and bigger contracts. So it's kind of a trend in... I don't take too much in the fact of like, oh, he's now the highest paid quarterback. Uh, the the salary cap, you know, which we'll talk about that in a second, but it has increased, you know, steadily um, over the last, you know, nine years. So you're, there's right. more cap room, so there's, they're going to get paid more. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because it's a perfect segue into the next topic. You know, we've been talking a lot about contracts today, but um, as you mentioned, Logan, the NFL just announced that the salary cap for the 2021 season will be 182.5 million, which is actually an 8% decrease from last season's 198.2 million cap. So cap limits had risen every year since 2011 in conjunction with rising league revenues, but a 92% drop in attendance during COVID-19 pandemic led to reduced revenues in 2020. The NFL and the NFLPA agreed last summer that the cap would, would be no lower than 175 million, and last month they informed teams that it would be at least 180 million. Teams must be in compliance with the new cap by next Wednesday uh, when the league year begins. So, Logan, some teams are already in cap trouble. What kind of impact do you see the decrease having on this upcoming season? Well, I think that no one is going to, like, wake up and be like, oh, shit, you know, where did all our cap space go? These teams have known. They've had eight months to kind of plan for this. You know, they knew that it was going to be no lower than $175 million. So the good teams have had time to plan accordingly. But, you know, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, you know, like the the Saints who were, you know, $57.5 million over the projected cap, 
those teams are still going to be in a tough spot. But the the decrease won't have a super big teams on teams that were already under that because they've been planning. So I think the the kind of two things that we'll see are impacts to you know free agents this year. I think that uh, free agents will kind of see two things. We'll see that one year rental where you have a guy who is is talented and he'll go one year and play somewhere just to get a contract and then look for a big one next year. And then I also think you'll also see like a prove-it deal where you maybe have a guy who's up and coming. He'll be signed to a moderate deal this season. But if he can perform, put a meet certain metrics, then next season he'll get a longer, bigger deal for his future. Um, you know, and really there's only six teams who have like serious cap room. Uh, the Jags, the Jets, the Patriots, Colts, Bengals, and Washington. Those teams are like the ones who can really make a splash. So they can sign people to these one-year deals and, and, and figure out you know if that prove-it contract is worth it. Um, but I think that one of the other things we need to watch is are the bad teams. If they're forced to overpay for talent to stay competitive, then you could see them making some bad deals. And that'll have a trickle effect, you know, throughout their seasons where they're saddled with these bad contracts. Whereas some of these good teams are already set to have healthier caps, they're going to be better set up for the future. Once you know, assuming you know next year kind of returns to normal, and we'll see that cap increase again, probably closer to what it was uh, last season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and I agree with a lot of the points you made. Uh, I think, you know, the other effects it's going to have is you're going to see some, you know, players that are on, you know, the cusp of being, you know, kept um, or cut. They're going to be cut as opposed to, you know, given kind of a, a benefit of the doubt. I know, you know, there's been some veteran players. Uh, John Brown from the Bills was, was just cut recently to save cap space, which, you know, he kind of got a, a hard bargain because he was also injured at the end of last season. So obviously, you know, we make it to the AFC Championship game without him really contributing. Um, so I think that there's going to be a lot of vets who, in a typical season where the, you know, salary cap gets increased, maybe they get kept on the last year of their, uh, you know, sal- uh, contract as opposed to being let go. Um, to save cap space. And I think, you know, the biggest, um, you know, impact from a front office standpoint is there might be a lot of, you know, GM over, uh, overturn, um, or turnover, uh, this coming off season, meaning after the 2021 season, because, you know, this is a unique situation. Like you said, like we said in the topic, you know, it's been what, 10 years in a row that the cap's gone up, um, prior to this year, nobody really anticipated, obviously, that there would be a, you know, decrease in viewership and revenue. But, you know, it's easy as a GM to think to yourself when you're making moves that you're, you know, you, you, I can only imagine, obviously, we've never done it. But as an NFL GM, you're thinking years out, um, and looking at salary caps years out. And I'm, I'm sure there's the assumption, oh, yeah, you know, it's gone up every year. Um, some teams might in, be in trouble for 2022 already. Um, and unless the GMs can kind of step in and move players, make some trades, cut, you know, who needs to be cut, I wouldn't be surprised if some, some owners, you know, cut ties with some GMs, especially like you mentioned, the bad teams in the league who are going to have to make moves this year to, to be competitive. Uh, I'd, I'm, you know, be interested to call on over under on, you know, number of GMs who are let go, um, you know, after this season, just based upon, you know, kind of a, abrupt and unprecedented you know eight percent decrease in the cap space 
and maybe they're not managing it properly. I, I'd love to see the you know the numbers on that uh, on some of these teams. Yeah, I'd like to see that too. It's that's kind of interesting. Um, I, d- I did see uh, an interview with uh, I forget his name, but he was part of the Packers front office, and he talked about when they were trans- transfer transitioning between Favre and Rogers. So they had planned enough in ahead, knowing that Favre wasn't going to be there uh, at some point, and when he left, he only had like a dead cap of like I think it was like a half a million or six hundred thousand dollars. So like him leaving didn't have an impact. Where like guys like when Marino left, he got he left the Dolphins with a huge dead cap, and we're gonna see that with you know Ben Roethlisberger. He's got those four avoidable years. So even if you know he only plays this 2021 season, after that they're still going to pay him for four more years. Breeze, we're going to see the same thing with him. They're going to end up paying him, so they're going to end up with a lot of dead cap space, and that's going to hurt them, especially if we see another decrease or say the same next year. Um, teams like you know the Saints and the Steelers could still be in cap, you know, trouble next season and even maybe multiple years and and if they can't find that next guy up to fill breeze and rossberg's shoes you know they're gonna they're gonna be hurting like they're you know the, with the saints they're talking about not even maybe being able to sign winston because he's gonna require too big of a contract even though he may be the better fit for the team so it, yeah, like I said, it's going to be real interesting. I don't know the last time that we've had a situation situation like this with the decrease in the cap. You know, obviously, twenty ten, right? So, um, but um, some of these GMs, especially first year, second year GMs, I mean, it's a crazy situation to walk in walk into, and it doesn't take much already for owners to to let these guys go. So they better play their cards right. Yeah, especially if you miss in the draft with a with a prospect. Oh, yeah. So, oh yeah. Well, we'll move on to our next topic. We're going to talk about the veteran journeyman quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. He is scheduled to become an unrestricted free agent when the 2021 season begins next week. And it's been reported by NFL insider John Clayton that it looks like he is set to retire. However, Fitzpatrick has come out and said that the last two seasons have really relit the fire under him and that he is still wanting to play. The 38-year-old is a free agent after spending the last two years with the Dolphins and has played for eight different organizations over his 16 years in the NFL. Brian, what do you think? Should Fitzpatrick retire, or should he continue his journey? I think he should keep going. I mean, I know he's not... He's never been the guy, right? I mean, he's he had some good statistical years. Um, I know he had some good years in Buffalo with, you know, with Chan Gailey, who ironically was his OC in Miami last year. Um, you know, I, I just like him as a player. I think he is definitely, he shows that, you know, excitement on the field, especially when, you know, he throws a big touchdown pass. He, he's always the first guy running down the field to get there. I don't know if he's going to be able to go to a team this coming year and like lead any type of substantial, you know, playoff run or anything. Um, but there's teams out there that need a quarterback. I think that he's better than some options or some, you know, starters that are currently on some certain teams. Um, I know Washington's high on Heineke, but I don't know if he's the guy yet for them. Um, at the very least, I think that he handled the Tua situation very well 
we've talked about this before. I don't know if they should have really pulled Fitz when they did, but I don't ever remember this past season seeing Fitzpatrick ever make a negative statement about the situation. And he certainly looked like he was mentoring Tua. You know, he's a really smart guy. Anybody who knows who he is knows he went to Harvard. He definitely has the the mental wherewithal to go in and learn a, learn a playbook quickly. He's the perfect guy to bring in to, for one of these teams that are even draft like let's like throughout Jacksonville, right? They're hurting at quarterback. They won't be come the draft. They'll have Trevor Lawrence. But wouldn't that be like a perfect segue for him to go into? a player slash coach role if he wants to be around the game. I don't know if that's what he wants, but I think that would be perfect for him. Yeah, I think you just nailed on the head it's what he wants. So from you know what I know is he wants to be the guy. He wants to be the starter. <clears throat> and I've got a lot of respect and admiration for Fitz, especially for what he did for Miami and in Miami. But he is 38, and he's not like a Tom Brady 38. He's a 38. You know, the one thing can be said for playing for 16 seasons in the NFL, that's a certainly an accomplishment. But he's always been that journeyman. He's just never been, like you said, the man. His longest stint was, you know, with your team, the Bills, from 2009 to 2012. Uh, you know, if, if Fitzpatrick's got a strong reputation in the league as a mentor, a good mentor at that, I want to see him leave the game on a high and take his skills into coaching. He's got the respect of a lot of players, especially after the publicity of everything in Miami last season. I think he could do very well as a coach if he decides to go that route. Um, I know, like I said, I know he wants to compete. He wants to be the starter. But realistically, you know, these teams are going to look at him for a certain type of role. You know, is, is he going to be a really good backup or is he going to be a mentor, a player coach? I don't think he's got enough left to be a multi-year starter, especially considering some of the teams he could end up on, the teams with any kind of buzz around them, especially like the Broncos, the Bears, Washington, the Patriots. You know, the Broncos are probably the front runner, but he's going to be back in that that player coach mentor role where you know, instead of it being two at this time, it'll be Drew Locke and maybe he'll get some playing time at the beginning of the season, but I think it's kind of that same thing. When is he going to come in? Uh, what is Locke going to come in and, and replace Fitzpatrick? You know, if he goes to the Bears or the or Washington or even the Patriots, he's just a stopgap until they can sign or draft somebody better. So I think that his days are numbered. I'd rather see him go out on this great kind of season that he put together and and put together a, a coaching package and, and go and be a quarterback coach and then an assistant coach and, and then a head coach. You know. I'd love to see him make that progression and be be the guy. He's a smart guy. I think that it fits his kind of personality to go that way. I hope he goes that way because I, I'd love to see him in the league still. He's a very entertaining guy to, to listen to. Um, I just remember like his press conferences when he was in Tampa, and he'd come out with the Fitz magic and have like right. the the chest hair, the big old beard. <laughs> you know, he's he's a great character. He, he needs to be in the NFL still. He needs to be. You know, front and center. So I hope that he can go out on this high and and a good team, a good team picks him up and, and gives him an opportunity. I think the Bills are looking for a backup. <laughs> I mean, you know, like like you said, you know, go to the Patriots and uh, you know right. complete the cycle of the AFC East. So 
I'd love to see it. Well, <clears throat> good luck to Fitz wherever he does end up. He'll be somewhere this year, that's for sure. I do but, think um, he'll be somewhere this year. Oh, yeah. he He's still too like not to get picked up by somebody even for it'll be maybe league minimum but hey i think that's he he doesn't care at this point as long as he's on a roster so um well transitioning from oh round two number two okay so uh transitioning from nfl to the nba this past weekend i think there was some sort of game right maybe yeah i mean a lot of players had vacations but uh some guys played yeah, kind of. Apparently, there was some sort of all-star game that drew a record low, 5.9 million viewers, which was 18% lower from last year's game and was the lowest rated all-star game in league history. The decline in viewership isn't limited to just the NBA all-star game, though. It's limited. It's a universal truth across all major sports that viewership uh, for these all-star or Pro Bowl weekends have gone down. Simply put, should major sports keep all-star games? So I'll start with a little story. So Emily and I watched a little bit of this game together, the all-star game. <clears throat> and at one point, I think it was like when LeBron like went up for a layup and like everyone just kind of like the Red Seas parted and everyone moved out of the way. And she kind of looked at me and she just goes, something to the effect of like, this is awful to watch or like, what's the point of playing this game? And I sat there and I tried to like defend like not just the NBA, but like all all-star games. As I listened to myself talk, I was like, I don't even truly believe what I'm telling her. Like, you know, so NBA All-Star Game, whether it's, you know, NBA or, or regular, I think that all of them are, are kind of this bygone thing. Uh, you know, the, the ratings are kind of a tricky thing to do because they can be spun in just by, like, any direction. You know, I've seen reports saying, oh, even though they had the low viewership, that's because of the the Oprah special on CBS and, and they dominated the 18 to 49 demographic. Well, I mean, an 18 point v- decline is, is really hard to like say is not, you know, due to something else or, you know, is, is it's okay. That's a lot of, that's a lot of viewers. Uh, and I, and I think the concept of an all-star game across all sports has lost a lot of its meaning and they really don't mean anything that there's no meaning behind them. And the league Only one. Well, yeah, and, and, and you know what? It, I think that's it, MLB for you. Though. I think it has the highest viewership of all. Right. Them. I think that there's another factor in there because like NBA is on cable network, whereas opposed to baseball is on um, public air. So I, I think that that's a a little bit of a, of a barrier, but I don't think that's a big deal in this day and age with streaming and all that. The different thing. I think in the past that was a bigger thing, but you know, I, I think the leagues and networks have done a little bit to kind of like stem the decline. But really, you know, all the new bells and whistles really haven't done too much to stop that. But it's hard to see the leagues canceling their All Star games in spite of the decline, and especially the networks for not wanting or the network. The networks still want to air them. Because even though there's fewer fans watching them, these games still draw more viewership than a regular season game ever does. With the exception of probably the Pro Bowl and an NFL game, I think the viewership is higher than just regular weeks as opposed to the Pro Bowl. But it gives the networks and and the the league something to hang their hat on and say, oh yeah, we we got you know 5.9 million viewers you know this week, and it helps them sell money and spots and stuff like that. So um, I don't see them going away, but I would be okay if they did. 
Yeah, we didn't even tune in. Um, you know, part of it's because I don't like the format of the whole Team LeBron, Team Durant, whatever it was. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm I. What have ever happened to East versus West, AFC versus NFC? The NFL tried to do it a couple of years ago, and they went back to the old style of just NFC, AFC. You know, we've reached a day and age where it all ties into what we've already talked about all day. These contracts. You know, players don't want to get hurt. They don't want to be risking themselves because of COVID. Um, they're worth too much money. You know, look at the Pro Bowl like 30 years ago, like in the early 90s. You're talking, you know, NFL here again. But those were in more intense games. And if you listen to players from that era... You know, A, they weren't making nearly as much money. They were still making crazy money in terms of, you know, an average person. But there was like a pride about, you know, we're the AFC and we hate the NFC and we're going to kick, you know, kick their ass. Um, That just doesn't really happen anymore. So I'm more on the, you know, ideal that the game is pointless unless you're talking about the Major League Baseball, which I have always hated that that game decides home field advantage in the world series it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever i love it for see, I, i'm on the opposite. i i love it because i think that it gives players a reason to play i mean i'm okay if it changes and there's a different reason to play but there's got to be a reason for them to try at least a little bit yeah i just think there's other incentives you could probably build in to get them to try especially in baseball i mean it's hit and catch Pitch and catch. It's just like any other game. You know, there's no the, the the likelihood of getting hurt. I feel like is not as high as like a Pro Bowl um, game, obviously. But um, getting back to, it, I think I love the thing I love about All Star Weekends and Pro Bowl weekends, and you know, across the four major sports is like the skills challenges. So mm-hmm. I don't. I would never want to see that go away. The skills competition, the three point shootout, slam dunk. You know, those are great. I would much rather I watch those. Those would those are exciting to me because it's it's not just another game. You're into these stylized competitions, and I think the players like those a lot more too because it gives them a little bit of a break. You know, they they're recognized as an all star, but then they're doing this like fun skills challenge, and they can take home a trophy. Like I I would much rather. Sports put more emphasis on that. Um, we're in a day and age. We saw it with the NFL this year where, you know, a lot of these players also are into video games. I don't mind having some type of a NBA 2K, you know, players tournament as a, just another aspect of the weekend that mm-hmm. can be streamed on Twitch or TNT or whatever they want to do. I think there's definitely ways to take the traditional game, which has honestly just become a joke and turn it into a, you know, multi-event, two-day weekend, you know, maybe leading up to the dunk contest, because that's what most people like to see. Yeah, I agree. The skills competition, especially, like, I love the NHL skills competition. Oh, yeah. Um, these guys in the NHL, they go hard. Uh, you know, even, like, I remember, like, the old NFL skills competitions where they had, like, you had a young Breeze and a young Brady, and you had some of these other guys, <clears throat> and they were out there just chucking the ball as far as they could, uh, you know, and trying to, you know, see you could throw the ball. And it was definitely you could see them competing against each other. Uh, I watched the skills competition this year for the NBA, and it just 
it was boring. The skills competition like was nothing. It was like, oh, pass into this tire, and then do the slaloms, and then do a layup, and then come down and hit a three point. And these guys went in the slowest speed possible. And Emily and I were just like, they're not even like trying to like win. Like, it just I don't know what it is because I mean I remember years ago. I mean, what year was it? It was like Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, um, all in the skills competition, and you could tell that that like the competitive nature got you know took hold of them, and they really wanted to win that thing. I just don't know why that's not there anymore. Yeah, and I don't know if it was because like COVID this year and the whole controversy is like the, the NBA All Star game. So I don't know. I don't remember that being the case like in past years, but like certainly. You know, the NHL, they actually have real skills and, like, practical things. This NBA thing they had was just, it was a dog and pony show, and it was it was awful. The players didn't want to be there. They did, like, what was it, three point guards versus three centers, and, like, it was just, it was boring. It was bad. You know, certainly I love watching the three-point competition. I love watching the dunk competition, but... There's got to be real skills for the NBA players to do, you know, and and to not put themselves at risk of injury. Yeah, next next year we'll have them run suicides. There you go. There you go. All right, we're moving on to NBA topic number two. The Brooklyn Nets. Yes, the Brooklyn Nets have just signed another major player. So half a game back of the 76ers in the Eastern Conference, trying to make some moves get to that number one spot. Um, they signed six-time All-Star forward Blake Griffin. Griffin cleared waivers on Sunday night after agreeing to a buyout on the remaining $56.5 million left on his contract with Detroit. Because Brooklyn will be in the luxury tax next season, the most it could offer Griffin as a free agent is the $5.9 million mid-level exception. On an already stacked Nets roster, what should we expect from Blake Griffin? Are the Nets now the number one team in the East, hands down? So injuries have really kind of drastically altered who Blake Griffin is and what his game is. It's all but eliminated the high-flying rim attacks that kind of defined his all-star years. He's now leaning heavily on that three-point shot and his ability to kind of make other players around him better and make plays for them. The Nets are going to use Griffin as that small ball center um, alternative I know, off the bench, which I don't think is really a, the best position for him. It seems like a heavy task for a guy who's had so many knee surgeries and knee problems for the years that I, I just don't see that being a good fit for him. Uh, but I do think the Nets will get the best out of what he has left in the tank. I think his production will look more efficient than it has in years past due to, you know, limited number or limited time and having a better cast of teammates around him. I'm not sure he makes the Nets any better than they already were. Brooklyn was solidified as a championship contender when they added James Harden to the roster that already included Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. What it does do is it makes them a deeper team. Uh, And depth certainly matters, especially down the stretch and into the playoffs. So I see him benefiting the team that way. With or without Griffin, I saw the Nets as being in the finals this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think he, he certainly makes them better. Um, you know, he is a shell of his former self, as you've already mentioned. Um, but it's going to be a lot easier for him to, I think, gain some confidence and maybe 
start playing on a little bit of an adrenaline high when you got three all-star players around you three mvp players around you the the floor is going to open up for him a little bit he's not going to be one of the main focal points um, for the defense and i think that's going to allow him to maybe just kind of ease into you know kind of a groove with them whether it's you know off the bench or if he makes his way into the starting lineup as the the four or the five you know for a small small ball team but um yeah, I think we all thought it's going to be L.A. versus the Nets in the finals. I still think LeBron is probably going to get back to the finals, and I don't see how the Nets, even though the 76ers are playing great basketball right now, I just don't know how the Nets don't, over the course of the next you know month and a half before the playoffs, don't mold and meld together into a team that just kind of dominates the playoff run. There's not many other teams in the East um, who – are going to be able to run with them. Maybe in Milwaukee, but they've had their, their troubles this year right. as well. Um, I like Blake Griffin. You know, it sucks that he's experienced the knee problems that he has, but knees and basketball do not mix. So, um, you know, he's going to definitely be a positive factor for them. But to what extent... That'll be, you know, yet to be seen. See how he does in the first couple weeks with them. Yep, I agree. Entering the finals of the NCAA West Coast Conference Tournament, the Gonzaga Bulldogs were a perfect 25-0 and and hold the number one spot in college basketball. It seemed as if the dream of a perfect season might end for the Bulldogs as they went into the half down by 12 points. But Gonzaga found rhythm in the second half and maintained their spotless record securing an 88-78 win over BYU in the title game, which is the third time they beat BYU this season. Gonzaga will be will enter the tournament at an opportunity to match college basketball's last perfect season achieved by the Indiana, uh, who was hosting the tournament this year during their 75-76 and 76 campaign. Going into March Madness, who you got? Are you taking the Zags or are you taking the field? Oh, I'm taking the field. I mean... It'd be a great story. I'd love to see it. Um, but March is mad for a reason. And, you know, these one seeds are not safe. I'm not, I don't think they're going to go down, you know, to a 16 seed or anything like that. But, you know, you get to round three, get to the sweet 16, the elite eight, you know, the closer you get to the end, the, the, the higher chance you have an ups, upset coming your way, especially when you're not playing on your home floor. So, um, you know, being a alumni of Syracuse, I have seen mediocre Syracuse teams make it to the tournament year after year, only to somehow make it to the Elite Eight and upset teams on the way. Um, you know, we're talking, you know, what, five games total with them to have a chance, five or six games total for them to, to blow this. Um, that's a lot of pressure and anything can happen in March. So I'm going to take the field. Yeah, Gonzaga is the fifth team to enter the March Madness with an undefeated record, joining Indiana State in 79, <clears throat> UNLV from 91, Wichita, Wichita State in 2014, and then Kentucky in 2015. You know, since Indiana did it 45 years ago, none of those squads have been able to follow suit and, and claim the title. Uh, Indiana did it the year after they went from 16 to 32 teams, so certainly it was a smaller pool. They had to play less games. No team has completed the perfect season in the 64-team era, you know, and now being in the 68-team era, I'm going to follow that trend, and I'm going to take the field as well. 
Gonzaga is certainly a step ahead of most, of, if not all, of the teams this year. They seem to have it all. They have the size, athleticism, uh, two NBA talents who guys are projected to go in the first two rounds, or the first uh, ten picks, sorry. <clears throat> but the, there's pressure, there's nerves. You know, you run to a team that's hot, you make a mistake. You know, these are still kids after all. They're, you know, I remember when I was that age and I didn't have the nerve that, you know, needed to kind of face that. And certainly these guys are more of a talent than I ever was. Uh, but certainly, I mean, the nerves have got to get to you. you got to understand the pressure that, that's on. And, you know, some of these guys, it may be their last season. It may be a one and done or, you know, so there's a lot of pressure on them. You know, teams are going to get their, giving them their best shot to kind of upset them. So I'm definitely taking the field. Great story if it happens. Uh, you know, good luck to the Zags. Certainly. But uh, that brings us back, back, back in time to one year ago today, March 11th of 2020, one year anniversary of the NBA suspending the 2019-2020 season. News that the Utah Jazz center Rudy Gobert tests positive for COVID-19 led to the postponement of Utah's game in Oklahoma City uh, that night. And some 90 minutes later, the NBA abruptly announced that the 2019-2020 season was being placed on hiatus until further notice. We know what that led to across the four major sports. Months of nothing. (laughs) Thanks a lot, covid But with that being said, that is uh, episode two of the Sideline Sportscast. We're uh, glad you guys could join us for this one. Uh, Reach out to us on our uh, social media uh, handles. Again, that's the Sideline Casters, or I'm sorry, just at Sideline Casters on both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, We're looking for your input, um, you know, suggestions. And I think, Logan, uh, you know, we'll spoil a little bit of next week. I'm thinking with the the tournament coming up, we might have to make some, uh, some bold predictions on our NCAA 2021 national champion, but Mm. that is for next week. So thank you for tuning in until next time.